to the book of Zechariah. It's toward the end of the New Testament. The book of Zechariah. If you get to the book of Malachi, go back one. If you get to the book of Matthew, go back two. good to be in God's house today I want God to work with us I want him to work with us today not just today but every day Amen. and I feel his strength and I felt his leading his guiding some of y'all look tired this morning Just know that I was praying for you about two o'clock this morning, so right, you just got to give me a big smile. And <laughs> thank you, Jesus. God doesn't God know exactly what we need. Amen. So you're not the only one that could have used a little more sleep, Amen. but it's good to be in God's house. Where we can find strength, we can find hope and peace and comfort. And man, it, I'm so glad to be here with all of you. I really, it just tickles me pink. I don't know where that idiom came from, but it sounds silly. But I'm, I'm thankful to be in the house of God and I'm thankful that you're here with me. In Jesus' name. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 1 says, And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me. What an alarm clock. As a man that is wakened out of his sleep. Some of us need an angel this morning to just. And he said unto me, what seest thou? And I said, I've looked and behold, a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it and his seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof. Now, there's, there's a great, great big message, a very important message in just these first few verses, but verse number three says, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Now we preached from the same passage on Pentecost Sunday this past year. We're going to, it's just not the same message. But verse seven says, who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying grace 
grace unto it. Zechariah is having a very wonderful vision here. And verse 6 is where we will draw our title from. This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. If you'll bear with me for a few moments this morning, as we take time to lay a foundation, we are going to preach, not by might. Not by might. Let's put our Bibles down and let's go before the Lord in prayer. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for each and every person that is here in your house today. God, I thank you for all that you have done. I thank you for all that you're doing. And I pray, God, that your will would be accomplished in this place. God, I want your will to be done in my life. I want your will to be done in my family. I want you to work on me, in me, for me, through me. God, I want you to revive me. I want you to revive us. I want you to revive your works. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Why don't we give God a great big hand clap of praise this morning? Oh, that's it. Now let's add our voices to that. Let's give him some thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, why don't you just tell him thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, doesn't that feel good? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Our God is great and greatly to be praised. In Jesus' name, you may be seated this morning. As we begin to study the Old Testament, we find a a sector of people called the prophets. And we find a sector of literary works also called the prophets. The prophets are comprised of the literary works of men of God who were known to be the mouthpieces of God. These men and women were also called seers because they were able to see into the supernatural. They were able to hear from God in unique ways. Some have viewed the prophets as a kind of superhuman being with special powers from another realm when in reality they were very human as scripture communicates to us. As we discuss their methods, it is evident that these ministers came to their audiences with messages from God. As we study the Old Testament, we'll find that the last 17 books of the Old Testament are where the writings of the literary prophets are found. In all, there are 17 prophetic books of the Old Testament covering roughly 340 years of history. These 17 books are divided into two main categories. They are divided into the major prophets as well as the minor prophets prophets. This distinction is based solely upon the length of the book and not a classification based upon whether or not they were of greater or lesser 
importance. The major prophets are comprised of five books, including Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. The minor prophets are comprised of 12 books, including Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. We read from what we call the minor prophet Zechariah today. And it's important for us to begin to to understand where we're going today in the preaching of the word and where God wants to to plant the word of God in your life today uh, by by exploring what's going on in Zechariah's day. The 70 years of the Babylonian captivity of the southern kingdom of Judah has ended. It ended in roughly 539 B.C. for all of you historical buffs. That ended what we call the Neo-Babylonian period. And it ushered in a new period called the Persian period. It is in the Persian period that we find 50,000 exiles have returned from now the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians to the city of Jerusalem. And they have found it as their forefathers were only able to leave it in a, in a wrecked state. Nehemiah has been building the walls. He has tried and, and they have worked and they have accomplished a lot. But now we find that there is no place of worship. And so... We find widespread indifference. We find a lack of morale among the people. And in this setting, knowing that God had desired for them to live fully and completely for him, they needed a place of worship. And so God said, the people need to hear a voice. The people need to hear the voice of God. And so he uses two men, one by the name of Haggai and the other by the name of Zechariah. They are instrumental in pushing forward the progress in Jerusalem. The voice of the prophet was needed to rally the inhabitants and inspire them to action. God had allowed his people to return to their homeland and now restoration was the order of the day. It is a new era. It is a new time period. And so Zechariah is called by many the prophet of the new kingdom. You know, today the book of Zechariah contains more prophecies about the Messiah than any other minor or major prophet with the exception of Isaiah. His prophecies include both the coming of Jesus and the second coming of Christ. It's here prophesied that Jesus would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah prophesies that his death would involve physical suffering at the hand of the Jews and also that he would enter into Jerusalem during the triumphal entry when they would be shouting and singing and chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That was the prophetic fulfillment of Zechariah's words. 
in his book of prophecy, Zechariah writes of eight different visions that he sees, which is where we find our main text. Our main text comprises his fifth vision. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1, the angel that talked with me came again. This is a recurring theme. This is a, a recurring occurrence. It's, it's happening over and over and over again. Let me just pause here and, and, and just, I'm just going to preach it as I feel it. You got to have a prayer life. Where would the people of God been if, if Zechariah and Haggai had not had prayer lives? Ah, this is the fifth vision of the eight. And Zechariah, every time he has closed his eyes and prayed and he's heard from God, that was not his last time. But Zechariah said, one time is not enough for me. I'm going to fulfill the word of the Lord, but I'm going to keep praying. I want to let somebody know that God's not done speaking to you. I feel my help today. I want to let you know that God's not done done with your family. God's not done with the work that he desires to do, but you've got to keep praying. You've got to keep pressing. So the angel comes again and he wakes me as a man that wakes out of a sleep. God's so desperate to speak. God so desires to speak to his people that he's not going to let his man sleep. And Zechariah doesn't wake up complaining. Zechariah wakes up looking. Wiping the sleep out of his eye. We got a lot to do, God. I'm, I'm tired. I'm trying to build the church. I really could use a sleep. No. Zechariah, what you really need is to see into the realm of the unseen again. Zechariah, what you need to do is you need to have another encounter. That's what you really need. I know that your body won't sleep, but, but you're not living just in the temporary. And so Zechariah somewhere along the way makes up his mind. I'm willing to spend and be spent. And so the angel wakes him up out of his sleep. And the angel says to him, what do you see? And he said, well, I've looked and, and behold, I see a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it and seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side and one upon the left side. And, and Zechariah is having uh, uh, this vision of Zechariah uh, is, is continuing with a, a different symbol and a different scene. Uh, the, the visions are lining up and Zechariah is seeing it uh, in different ways so that he can relate it to different people and he can f uh, fully understand what God is trying to so show him and what God is trying to relay to his people in here in this fifth vision Zechariah sees a golden candlestick that has individual lamps at the end of, of each branch and, and you say pastor this is really confusing why why the vision why the candlesticks why the seven why the seven why the seven why the branches and, uh, but let me just break it down for you here uh, this morning and you can research it on your own and uh, I, I don't expect you just to take things for uh, that I say at face value but you can find it in the word of God and you can and study it out and if you have questions you can ask but the candlestick was unlike anything else that Zachariah had seen 
It had an olive tree, one on one side and the other on the other side. And there was a golden pipe running from a branch of each olive tree that supplied the candlestick with a continuous stream of oil. Continuous stream. You see, the candlestick was, the, the branches were hollow and, and there was a basin that had, uh, that contained the oil and there was an olive tree on one side and an olive tree on the other side. And, and the olive tree has always indicated to us and been a symbol of, like the wine in the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, significant of the anointing and significant of the Spirit of God and, and the anointing that comes when you're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Let me just preach to you this morning. You've got to have the Holy Ghost. If your light's going to shine, you've got to have the Holy Ghost. And he said, I'm going to put a light. There's going to be an olive tree planted on one side and an olive tree planted on the other side. What does that tell us? It tells us that it's alive. It tells us that there's going to be a continual source for the oil of Zechariah's vision. There's going to be a, a continual source. Let me remind you that Zechariah's preaching in a day when people are tired. They're tired from building. They're tired of trying to build the church. And, and there's some fighting that's going on. And, and there's some warfare that's going on and there's some enemies but Zechariah sees a vision of the Lord and he said Zechariah I want you to know there's an olive tree planted on one side there's an olive tree planted on the other side and there's seven branches it's the number of completion and there's bowls and there's candles there's a continuous flow you tell my people that what they're doing is not going to happen because of their own might it's not going to happen because of their own power but it's going to be because they are filled with my spirit. I want to preach to you today. You don't God, you don't need to throw the towel in. You don't need to quit. You need to get another dose of the Holy Ghost. You need to get in the prayer room and pray your way through. You need to get in the altar and worship your way through. I know you might be going through hell, but don't stop moving. Keep on fighting. Keep on pressing. What Zechariah could not understand completely. Do you understand what you're saying? What are these, my Lord? He said. Do you know what this is, Zechariah? No, I don't know what this is. What Zechariah could not understand completely is something that we can see more clearly from this point in history. And that is that among the candlestick were branches, and among the branches were individual lights. There were golden pipes running to each lamp, supplying the continuous flow of oil, so the flame would never burn out. And we sing the song, and, and, and I'm afraid that, that a, 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 it's very easy for us to just sing the words. Well, may the fire on my altar never go out. There's a continuous flow. Let me ask you, anointed one, when does the anointing stop? 
It doesn't. For the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Let me blow our minds here for a moment. Lucifer is still anointed. But he's used the anointing and he's perverted his gifting. And he's perverted his gifting in such a manner that, that his music talent is still being used. But it's so twisted and it's so nasty and it's so perverted that it, would, it makes your ears burn. And it's just, ah. But it's very powerful. Why? Because the anointing has not stopped moving. Now let me just tell you today that your anointing does not have to stop flowing. Let me clarify that. It does not stop flowing. But you and I have a tendency to step out of the anointing when we don't like the direction that it's taking us. When it gets a little too hot to handle. And we're not quite sure what's going on. We tend to step out. And we tend to say, you know what? Chuck this. I'm going fishing. Peter, what are you doing? I'm tired of living this. I'm tired of sitting here trying to figure out why and what and who and when and where. I'm tired of living in the in-between. I'm going fishing. Ain't nothing wrong with fishing. I'm not preaching against fishing. Brother Chris said amen. What I am warning you about is you, I'm just going to preach it like I feel it. It's not by might and it's not by power. It's not by your own strength. It's not by your own ability. You're not strong enough to make it happen. You're not smart enough to make it happen. You got to stay in the flow of the Holy Ghost. So if you've stepped out, you've got to step back. So we can see it a little more clearly than Zechariah could see it. There were individual lights. It was one candlestick, but individual lights. Golden pipes running to each lamp, supplying continuous oil so the flame would never burn out. Well, pastor, why do we need to know about this today? Well, we need to understand this today because verse 6, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power. Now, we could really break all that down, and there are, there are different uh, transliterations of the original language. Some of them say, in the Latin, they say, Not by the might of an army, not by the power of a host, not by your own strength, not by the strength in, that's found in numbers, not by uh, physical strength, not by intellectual strength, not by uh, military strength, nor by military power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Now, Zechariah, you need to understand that there is going to be opposition to what you, as a child of God, is doing. And building a life in the kingdom of God is no simple matter. If you're going to build a life living for God, you got to do it intentionally. And if we're going to build a church for the glory of God, we're going to have to do so with intent. 
if I'm going to do anything for God, it's not just going to fall into my lap. I've got a purpose in my mind. It's not by might. It's not by power. But the best weapon, the best tool to build your life, the best tool to build your family, parents, husband, wife, the best tool to build your family, the best way to build your future is not by strength, efficiency, wealth, or an army. It's not by your own ability, your might, or your power. But victory is not going to come because you have the strength or because you have the money. Victory is not going to come because you operate efficiently. Victory is not going to come because you have an army on your side. It's not going to happen because of your own ability. But it's going to happen because the Spirit of the Lord... By my spirit, saith the Lord. In the Old Testament, it's the word ruach. In the New Testament, it's the Greek word pneuma. Corresponding words in different languages. The ruach, the breath, the wind, the spirit of God, it's the same word that we see in Genesis. When the spirit of God moves and the creation process begins. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not child's play today. And when you're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, he's saying now you're tapped in to a pipeline of oil that never runs dry. He told Nicodemus, you gotta be born of the water and of the spirit or you cannot see the kingdom of God. The book of Romans tells us that if you have not the spirit of God, you are none of his. I want to have the spirit of God. I don't want to sit here and argue why I don't have to have it. It's a free gift and it's yours. I'm just going to tell you, if somebody walked in that back door right now with a check for $5 million. And I knew that that check was good. I wasn't going to sit here, Brother Allen, and be like, oh, no, I don't really need that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Class dismissed. <laughs> Somebody put a praise on it real quick. <laughs> oh, wait, the bank's closed on Sunday. We're just going to have to finish church. Lock that baby up in the safe. Meet me at the bank at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. I'm not going to sit here and argue why I don't need that and why they should keep that. And neither would you. So why do we do that in the kingdom of God? Well, no, I don't. I don't know that I really need that. You need it. Stop arguing about it and just receive it. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost, your perspective changes. Zechariah's been preaching. Haggai have been preaching. They've been the voice of God to the people. And Zechariah's perspective changes when he gets an understanding of the Spirit of God. And in verse 7, then he starts saying things like, who are you, great mountain? We got this great big task, but what is this great big task when I'm empowered with the Holy Ghost? I just come to remind somebody today, it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by thy Spirit. By my spirit, saith the Lord. I want to remind somebody today. 
He's going to bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings. They're going to lay that chief cornerstone and everything else is going to be built upon it. What was that chief cornerstone? Fast forward with me to the book of Acts. Thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. It was the message and the understanding that Peter carried. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Not by might, not by power, but by thy, my spirit, saith the Lord. Grace, grace unto it. So powerful is the spirit of God that it does not matter what you're facing. I don't say that today to minimize what you're going through. Lord knows I've been beat up, I've been beat down, I've been beat in and beat out. I've my faith taken a beating. I've been weary and well-doing. But I want to tell somebody I still got the Holy Ghost today. And God's still on my side. Whether it's a human force, a spiritual force, it doesn't matter. No power, no kingdom is going to prevail against the kingdom of God. First Corinthians 3. Paul planted, Apollos watered, God provided the increase. Let me just tell you today, looking back at Zechariah's candlestick, the light's still shining. Let your light so shine therefore, for men. So pastor, I don't really feel the Holy Ghost. I, I know I've been filled with the Holy Ghost, but I don't really. Ooh, come on, come on. There's nothing wrong with the oil. Amen. I'm not. I'm not trying to belittle anybody today. I'm trying to help somebody. So you got to examine your branch. There's nothing wrong with the candlestick, but you got to examine your branch. Have you allowed something to clog up the flow? Have you stepped? out of the flow is there a shut off valve somewhere that you're like uh, you know what they probably don't want to do that today I'm feeling pretty wild you may not want to do that today but you know what let's go there don't be a witch Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. What fellowship hath light with darkness? What fellowship hath Christ with Belial or Belial? You know what Belial or Belial means? Worthless. Any time in the Bible you say that they're, they're, they're sons of Belial, they're daughters of Belial, they're worthless. Now they're worthless because they're doing worthless things. They've bought into worthless anti kingdom, anti God, anti Christ ideology. Say, well, I'm just going to do me. You know what? I can't force anybody. 
but you go do you somewhere way far away. And don't get in the way of the kingdom of God because this train doesn't stop. What's a yapping dog to a moving freight train? Well, that's a whole lot different than what's a moving freight train to a yapping dog. good I'm making sure that I haven't stepped out for while one saith I am of Paul and another I am of Apollos are you not carnal well brother so and so baptized me I was converted under brother Paul therefore my salvation must be superior to your salvation Well, I was born of Apollos, so therefore my salvation must be superior to yours. You ever wonder why pastor doesn't baptize a whole lot of people? Because I don't want it feeding into some kind of carnality. Well, that's silly. Yeah, it is silly. Paul said that's carnal thinking. All leadership is valuable, and it fills the need in the body of Christ. Verse 5, who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by whom ye believed? They were just the ones that brought the message. Even as the Lord gave to every man, in verse 6, I have planted. It's from a derivative word that means to set out in the earth, to implant. Planting is different than sowing. Sowing, we're casting the seed on the surface and we're giving the soil a chance. But Paul said, no, I have implanted. I spent some time with some folks. I've implanted some things. I've tried to get it into their spirit. I've taught them Bible studies. I've preached the word to them. I've been in their homes. I've sat across the table from them. I've implanted it into them. Paul planted the church at Corinth. Apollos came along, not against the will of God, but Apollos came and irrigated the seed. This was more than just being broadcast. They have planted the seed. They are tending the plant that has sprung up. They are making sure it has everything that it needs. Paul has instilled the doctrine Paul did so in Acts 18 and verse 4 in the synagogues he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks verse 24 and a certain Jew named Apollos born at Alexandria an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus Paul had planted Apollos is watering This man instructed, was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. That's all he knew. He was doing the best that he knew. And here come a couple of tent makers. Verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Apollos, you're fervent, man. You're a believer. We're so glad you're here. We are so glad you're in Ephesus. Man, if you're here today and you've not been filled with the Holy Ghost, I want you to know I'm so glad you're here. I'm not preaching at you. I'm not preaching against you. I'm trying to get something implanted into you. They expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. They said, listen, John baptized probably a whole lot like Paul's message to John's disciples. 
He said, well, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Well, I didn't know that there was any Holy Ghost. Well, John baptized under repentance, but he said that he that cometh after him was mightier than him and that he would baptize with the Holy Ghost. That's the same doctrine that Apollos was preaching, and he was doing it fervently. He was doing it with everything in him. He believed it. He was doing the work of God to the best of his ability, but there had been a new door that was open. And they expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly, and when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples, hey, receive him. And when he was come, this new convert helped them much, which had believed through grace. He said, I planted. Paul did. Apollos watered. He's still using agricultural language, but in a different way. Paul had gone to Corinth as a first missionary and planted a church. He had implanted a church right in the middle of that wicked city, dug it out, planted the seeds, helped them grow, converted the soul. He's gotten closer to the plant than just when the sower sows the word of God. He's been hands-on. He's got dirt under his fingernails. Blood, sweat, and tears. There have been days when I've been feeling bad about myself, feeling down. And I read Paul's account. I was shipwrecked three times. Stoned. They thought I was dead, but God raised me up. And I said, you know, I hadn't really had it that bad. (laughs) He'd been hands-on in planting this church. And here comes Apollos who irrigates the planted vineyard so it can bring forth even greater harvest. But Paul tells the Corinthians, even though I planted and even though Apollos watered, it was God. Who gave the increase. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. When they reject the message, they're not rejecting me. I'm not the one that brings the increase. They're not rejecting you. You're not the one that brought the increase. They're rejecting God. Second Corinthians chapter four and verse five, for we preach not ourselves, but Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. What's Paul telling us? He's telling us, hey, when a church experiences growth, it's the product of many laborers, those who plant, those who water, but ultimately growth is given by God. Now, growth's not going to come without somebody planting. That's right. Growth's not going to come if somebody's not watering. 
because the Bible tells us that, ah, that they that labor, labor in vain unless God builds a house. And if God builds a house, those that labor are doing the right thing. They're going to see the fruit of their labor, but you can't labor, you can't see the growth and you can't see the kingdom of God built if you're not willing to put in the work. Well, I want my family to be blessed and put in the work. I want my kids saved and put in the work. I want to see my neighbors saved. So do I. Put in the work. I want to be a soul winner. You got to put in the work. That's the will of God for your life is to win souls. Put in the work. And it's God that gave the increase. It's God that makes it grow. That makes it greater in size and maturity. It's, it's the key to authentic discipleship. We've got to get them in the presence of God. That's why when we come into the house of God, we've got to break up the fallow ground. We've got to do it in pre-service prayer. Why? Because we're creating an atmosphere where God can provide the increase. Because they've been like the wayside soil. All week they've been stepped on. All week they've been pushed down. All week you've been pushed down. All week you've been beat up. And when you come into pre-service prayer, you're dropping the plow in the fallow ground. And you're breaking it up so the light can shine beneath the surface. When we get into the house of God and we start singing and we start worshiping, we're breaking up the fallow ground. We're taking another pass. I want the ground of my heart to be open. There are seeds that are counting on your worship because they don't know how to worship. Not by might. Musicians, come, please. Nor by power. But by my spirit saith the Lord. God desires to give increase. In fact, one, one source says the Lord requires non-stop progress, non-stop development in the life of faith. Are you telling me that God wants me to be perfect? Well, eventually. And you're not going to be perfect eventually if you're not putting in the work. So why why do you think pastor preaches so hard? I'm not speaking about myself in the third person. Why do you think I preach so hard and encourage you? Man, you got to pray every day. You got to read the word every day. You got to do it. It's a continual growth. Man, I love that developing prayer life. Man, I'm so proud of you. Keep it up. You're doing a good job. Because it's not by might. And it's not by power. It's not by accomplishment. It's not by education. I'll take it a step further. It's not even because of lack of education. God's not hindered by your education 
or if you dropped out of school in the third grade and never went back. I'm not being ugly today. That doesn't matter to God. That's not going to hinder God from working in your life. Because it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit. And unless we have the Spirit of God, we are none of His. Zechariah, I know that I placed you there in that ancient city of Jerusalem. And there's been a lot that's gone on between now and then. It's been a lot since David walked in uh, with the head of Goliath on that spear. And he stuck it in the ground outside of Jerusalem. It's been a long time coming. Jerusalem's lived through its glory days under David and Solomon. It's been split. It's been divided. It's been, it's been through hell. It's been ransacked. It's been ravaged. It's been bombarded. It's been surrounded. It's been beat down. Babylonians ripped stone from stone. Destroyed it. Zechariah, what you need is not more physical strength. The key to your move of God is not to sign up on Zip Recruiter, post a job listing on Indeed, asking for more folks to come, more construction workers to come. Hey, come help us build. No. It's not by might. You don't need a bigger army. It's not by power. It's by His Spirit. If you're struggling with life today, if you say, you know what, Pastor, I really want to live for God, but I'm struggling. It's not by might. It's not by power. First of all, you keep fighting. You keep pressing. You keep your head above water. But it's by the Spirit of God Except the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. We're going to keep working. We're going to keep preaching. We're going to keep teaching. We're going to keep teaching discipleship classes. We're going to keep teaching one-on-one Bible studies. We're going to keep knocking on doors. We're going to keep the lights on. God's going to do it. And he's going to use you to help. But we need his spirit. to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Yes, it is salvific. You need the Holy Ghost to make it to heaven. But it also empowers you to do the work of God here in the earth. It is the earnest of your inheritance. It's the interest off of the eternal life to come that you can draw like that investment account and you can live off the interest and make that money work for you he's working for you today I wonder if I have anybody that that would be willing to say you know what pastor I want God to work in my life today Zechariah these people are frustrated these people are tired you need to tap in and you need to see what's coming 
You need a revelation of what happens when you tap into the anointing. You need a revelation of what happens. You gotta let your light shine, Zachariah. And there's enough anointing that's still flowing. You gotta get yourself into the flow of the Holy Ghost today. I wanna encourage somebody today. I promise you, if you'll do it with your whole heart, God will meet you here today. You gotta step out of that pew and you gotta make your way to the altar and you gotta say, God, I wanna move of God in my life. I want the anointing to flow in my life today. I want the oil to flow. I want the flame to be lit continually. I need it. I need it. I need it. Come on, you need the Holy Ghost. He wants to empower you today. By your spirit, God. Sing your spirit, God.